the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to the Situation Report today. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stolnicker. Glad to have you joining the conversation today. When we talk about an ever-changing culture, so many aspects to that, and I think I start just about every show the exact same way. Culture's changing in so many areas, it's hard to keep track of. I would imagine, however, that one of the areas we could say culture is changing, certainly our lives are being impacted, is through the economy. We are living at a time where the economy is, by any measure, not good. Inflation continues to increase. Stock market, not doing well. Gas prices, record highs. The world is uncertain, and it doesn't look like the economy is going to get any better. How do we navigate that? That's a good question. We've had good discussions about that in the past and had um, other economists on. As a Christian, though, I do my best to understand everything, including the economy, from a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview. What would the Bible have to say about the economy and how I should interact with what's happening in our economy? We can have economists explain to us what is happening and what they think should happen. But how do we view this from the right perspective. My guest today is someone who not only teaches professionally on this exact topic, but has written about it, has a podcast about it, does much to communicate the importance of viewing the economy from a biblical perspective. Very grateful to have on today as my guest, Dr. Dave Arnott. My guest today is Dr. Dave Arnott. Uh, Dr. Arnott is the professor of management who teaches economics at Dallas Baptist University. Uh, I said the professor of management. There may be more than one, but uh, definitely one of the professors of management. Teaches economics at Dallas Baptist University. Has authored four books on the topics of leadership, management, and economics. And uh, among other things, has a podcast where he talks about many of the things we'll touch on today. And interestingly, and I had a hard time not focusing on this part of your bio, retired marathoner. I've got to start right there. What is a retired marathoner? As as an aspiring marathoner, I'm curious what a retired marathoner is. Jeremy, it's good to be with you, and thanks for that introduction. Yeah. Uh, If you know somebody who runs marathons, we need to pray for them. It is a mental (laughs) illness. And I did that mental illness six times and then quit. And um, now I'm I'm a member of Marathoners Anonymous. Every day I don't run one is a good day. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, I've run my my whole life, um, and in the last few years I've started running uh, what falls into the ultra marathon category. So I've got some 50ks, 100k, um, and I'm I'm training for a hundred miler in January or in February. You are um, physically blessed. That's amazing. Jeremy. Well, I haven't gotten yeah. hurt yet, and I've pushed pretty hard. 
But uh, when I saw a retired marathoner, I thought, maybe I just need to skip right to that because I had a rough one this morning. So You and I are headed in opposite directions. You're running more <laughs> and I'm running less. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get less here pretty soon, I think. But I uh, appreciate you being on with us. Man, this is uh, such a huge topic. The economy, of course. I mean, that's just an enormous topic. But as Christians trying to understand principally how we should respond to what's happening in the economy, some of the drivers of the economy, and uh, how to be... Christians in a culture that is so upside down and so confusing. I'd like to talk about that, but I'd like to first, just for our audience, understand you a little bit, your background, and in particular, your faith journey. This is a, an interesting uh, kind of conflation when you come from the, the world of academia and certainly economics mm-hmm. and bringing faith into that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I went to colleges much like Dallas Baptist University, where I teach now, two Christian colleges. And uh, then when I got to DBU, I started to understand the Christian worldview. And as Mm. Providence would have it, there was a guy named Davey Noggle, who was essentially the world's expert on worldview. He wrote a book called Worldview. And we had a summer seminar in which he took us all the way from Socrates forward to find out what do we Christians believe and why. Mm. And I really got fascinated by the Christian worldview. And then about eight years ago, the dean came, that's my boss, The dean came by my office and said, you've been teaching management. We need somebody to teach economics. I wasn't qualified, so I took a couple more courses so I could be qualified to teach economics. That's why your introduction was correct, Jeremy. I'm a professor of management who teaches economics. I am qualified, but I don't have a doctorate in the subject. And maybe that gives me a different view. And so when I started to teach economics, I thought, if if you cross these two elements, if you cross the Christian worldview and economics, this is how the world works. Yeah. And I was like a kid at Christmas, like, oh, my gosh, the light really went on for me. Not only my experience with the Christian worldview, because that is the way the world works. Yep. And economics is the way the world works. So I've got these two sort of competing camps that I'm in as a Christian economist. I look at economics through a Christian worldview. Much like you guys, I think you say something like you're, you're talking about an ever-changing culture. Yeah, well, that's right. mine is similar to that. If I had a bumper sticker for the Christian economist, it would be, how does this first century book inform a 21st century economy? Yeah, that's good. And that's the answer I'm, I'm seeking. And we need to seek that humbly, because if we think we know what God wants us to do, you should be careful about that. But we have made some steps toward that. There's an entire new economy being created right now, filled with patriotic companies that have had enough of cancel culture and the left. One, you can support every day, and all you have to do is get dressed. I'm talking about under-tack boxers. These have to be the greatest boxers ever made, probably because they have literally been tested by special forces operators. They're made with high-quality material that's antimicrobial, anti-pilling, and moisture-wicking, so you stay fresh and dry all day day long. They come with a sturdy yet comfortable waistband that doesn't crack or loosen. Undertack is durable, ultralight, and shrink resistant. Here's the best part. They're almost 30% less than the woke designer brands with the non-binary models. Go to getundertack.com. That's getundertack.com. Right now, when you buy three, get one free, but only with the offer code SITREP20. SITREP20. Support a great American company that's pro-America, pro-Second Amendment, and pro-military. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. GetUndertack.com. That's GetUndertack.com. Offer code SITREP20. We 
when you look at the economy or I look at the economy, it's, it's presented as, and going to college, I had economics classes and mm -hmm. had a very liberal professor explain to me the economy and how it works and those kind of things. But a lot of it's math. A lot of it is science. It's very scientific how things work and how the pushing and pulling on either side will adjust things in the economy. Yeah. Um, but as a professor of management, so someone who spent the majority of your, um, your adult life and your academic life invested in understanding leadership and management, I would imagine you have a different view on the economy and certainly how the economy is being managed right now. Um, how do those two work together for you? So yep. setting aside for just a minute the biblical worldview, because that's so important, but just the management of the economy. I think a lot of the economists who are um, impacting our economy right now understand math, but may not understand management. Can you, can you talk about how those work together for you? Yeah, the economics is a Greek term that means the management of a household. Wow. <laughs> okay, so it comes yeah. from management. Yeah. So how do we manage a household? And there's a lot in the Bible about that. But I would say from my previous experience writing a leadership book called The Leadership Quotient and Teaching Management for many years before I got into economics, it is that people's decisions make a difference. Mm. I mean, I start my class at Dallas Baptist University by showing them that uh, the Chinese government killed about 60 million people, we think, between 1959 and 1961. Mm. And in the ensuing uh, 20 years, they raised 665 million people out of extreme poverty. Hold it. That decision is important. Yeah. That's what I say to my students. Look, some of your, your fellow students think you're over here with Professor Arnott studying money or something. It's not something. It's how we distribute goods, which makes a big difference in the world. The Chinese government killed 60 million by redistributing goods, then pulled 665 million out of abject level poverty by just opening the door to free markets. And that's the point. That's why this is important. And those decisions were made by only a few leaders. What do you say to particularly Christians who set aside a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview um, when looking at things like the economy. It, it, again, this is a difficult thing, I think, for us to understand. If you're not an economist, if you're not someone who spends time on this, you think, well, the professionals need to deal with this. I've talked to uh, professional economists you know, several times on this show, and, and all of them say it's all policy. Policy, those decisions that you just mentioned, are what are driving the good and the bad in the economy. <laughs> if it's good, they're good decisions, good policy decisions. If it's bad, um, bad policy decisions. Those de decisions impact everything we do. So how do you address Christians who are looking at the economy and convince them that they need to view that through the same lens they view everything else? Well, those decisions come from somewhere. I mean, they have their roots somewhere. If you want to think mm. of us standing on top of an iceberg, what's under the water that holds it up? Yeah. Every idea is held up by some philosophical underpinning. And I'm not much of a philosopher, but the point is every decision you make came from somewhere. Where did it come from? And again, your, your slogan for your program is something about an ever-changing culture, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, how do we make decisions in an yeah. ever-changing culture? Yeah. And you and I both agree that we should make them based on biblical principles. They're going to come from somewhere. And the other point I would make is that you can change economic policy. You can't change economic law. Mm. Economic laws are as sincere as gravity. I start my class at Dallas Baptist University. I walk in the room. I don't even say hello. I don't even say this is economics. I go to a student who's drinking a cup of coffee, and I said, how much did you pay for the coffee? She said, five bucks. I said to the person next to her, if the price of coffee goes up, 
will your fellow student buy more or less? And he says, less. I said, first policy. That's a policy, but it's a law. It's an economic law. As the price of things go up, we buy less. And so if we can root ourselves in these economic laws and find out their connection to the biblical truths, now we've really got something to make decisions by. You can change economic policy. You can't change economic law. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and that's, you know, that is, as you mentioned, what we talk about on the show is providing what I say is the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. Yeah. And one of the, the points I try to make often is culture will continue to change. We can't, we can't yep. do anything about that, but we need those laws, those principles that don't change. And that's right. what we need to hang on to. And I think that's what a biblical worldview certainly does for us. Um, you write about this a lot. You've got a great blog. You have a podcast, as I mentioned, on your website. Um, one of the, the blog posts that you have prominently displayed on your homepage is the Ten Commandments of Economics. Yeah. Um, and I don't expect you to go through all of those, but can you talk about some of those basic principles of economics from a biblical worldview, a biblical perspective, some basic principles that people need to hang on to and understand? Yeah, there are ten, and so I won't go through all of them. But we started with this idea of, have you read Wayne Grudem's um, Systematic Theology? I have I have his systematic theology. I haven't read the whole thing, but I've read certainly a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We worked through it in my Sunday school class some oh, years. Oh, wow. yeah. Oh boy. And so then, when I got into economics, I started to ask the question: Has anybody done that? Has anybody done systematic theology for economics? Mm. And I found that nobody had. Yep. So with my fellow professor Sergei Sedamatov, he's he's Ukrainian. So until he was eleven, he lived in a Soviet economy in the Ukraine. Interesting. And they say that 65% of college students would vote for a socialist. And my quip is, after talking to Sergey, the number drops to about zero. Because he will tell them, he lived it, and he will tell them what shortages there were of everything. So anyway, going back to Sergey, he and I got together, and we wrote a paper for something called the Christian Business Faculty Association about these Ten Commandments. And I said, Sergey, we're going to find out if anybody's done this, because these people know. We presented our paper, and nobody said this has already been done. And I turned to Sergey after the presentation. I said, nobody's ever become the Wayne Grudem of economics, and maybe we can do it. So humbly again, we look through the scriptures, and we believe we have found 10 commandments of biblical economics. And I won't cover all of them, but the first one, and this applies to your Mighty Oaks Foundation, the first one is freedom. Mm. I've often said the intersection of Christianity and economics is freedom. Now, this will take some of your viewers back to the basement of a Methodist or Lutheran or Baptist church. There's a painting by William Holman Hunt, and it's of Jesus knocking at the door. 
Yeah. What yeah. you realize really quickly is, do you know the answer, by the way, Jeremy? What no. do you notice in the painting? Um, I mean, there's a lot of things I can picture in that painting. I haven't seen it for years, but I mean, Jesus knocking at the door is, it's a, it's a very iconic painting from my yeah. childhood. Yeah. I don't know what I would notice that would speak to this. There's no handle on Jesus side of the door. That's interesting. So Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door mm. and knock. If you open. Right. And it just, you and I should be so astounded that the greatest being ever conceived of, God, gives Jeremy and Dave the choice mm. to open the door. To give he's us not going to kick it open. Yeah, he's not kicking it <laughs> That's open. That's right. right. So if we have that freedom, then we think that God wants us to have as much freedom as possible mm. in our economic lives. Now, your Mighty Oaks Foundation, right? It's about military who defend our freedom. And I've even heard you say, I think, in some of your podcasts, freedom is not free. Yeah. Well, economic freedom is not free either. Just like we have to fight for political freedom, we have to fight for economic freedom. If you want to make a third, we have to fight for religious freedom. But let's just stay on economics today since yeah. that's our subject. It is not natural to have a free economy. It is not natural to have a free political situation. That's why you served in the Marines, to defend right. it, because it's not free. I mean, think about it. If it was free, why did you defend it? It's mm. not free. My dad served in the Army Air Corps. That was yeah. the Air Force before there was the Air Force. Right. Right. I had two brothers, career Air Force. I now have three nephews uh, in the Air Force and one in the Navy. We are a military family. Why? Because freedom is not free. You have right. to defend it economic freedom is not free. You have to defend it. People will try to take it away from you. Just like they'll try to take away your political freedom, they'll try to take away your economic freedom. And so we need to understand what does the Bible tell us about how we defend this economic freedom? So you've asked for the 10 and I've given you the one, which I think is the most important. People should be free. That's number one of the 10 biblical economics of biblical commandments of economics that Sergei Sadamatov and I found that we put in our book, Biblical Economic Policy. There's many others, but I think they all fall under the idea yeah. of freedom. So, okay, great segue to my next question, <laughs> because we are living at a time where every economic ill in the world is um, thrown at the feet of capitalism. And I think most people who say that capitalism is bad have no idea what capitalism is. So maybe we can start with a working definition of capitalism. But then from there, what do people who view capitalism as the problem, what are they getting wrong? I think freedom is a part of that. But yeah. um, what are they getting wrong? What do they not understand? Why do people, when they talk to Sergey, um, go from... I would vote for this to I will never vote for this. What are they getting yeah. wrong? Before we jump into that, though, um, I would imagine if you've been to the grocery store recently, you've noticed that things are more expensive. Gas is more expensive. It doesn't matter where you live in this country. Things are more expensive. The economy, our economic future is uncertain. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what is it that we can do to protect our financial future for our families, for our children? What can we do personally? Uh, one of the things I would recommend is at least considering uh, adding gold and silver into your IRA, your investment accounts. Take a look, figure out how to do that, and see if that is the right fit for you. The place that you can start is with Lear Capital. Call Lear Capital, and you can get their free precious metals investor guide. You can also ask them about their Lear Advantage IRA that lets you transfer or roll over your old 401k or IRA into a gold and silver tax advantage IRA. Plus, Lear is offering right now 
Crazy shipping, uh, free shipping, and up to $15,000 in bonus gold or silver with a qualified purchase. This is something you at least need <laughs> to take a look at. You can call for details, 800-489-6450. Lear Capital is the most rated precious metals company on consumer affairs with a near-perfect rating on Trustpilot. Call them at 800-489-6450. That is 800-489-6450. Calling that number, you will get your free kit and there you will learn how gold has performed during periods of inflation government debt interest rate hikes economic crashes even wars and how in all of those gold has been the financial bedrock asset in portfolios Uh, one of the things i love about lear capital is that they are an american-owned company proud to do business with americans that share conservative values write this number down 800-489-6450 call them today or if you don't want to call you can click the link below in the show description and the show notes check them out you will do yourself a great service by at least investigating lear and what they have to offer well first let's quote uh, whole foods founder john mackey who said capitalism is humanity's greatest invention mm. now that's worth thinking about yeah. Capitalism is man- humanity's greatest invention. He may be right. I'm still thinking about it. But <laughs> we, we have to choose some distribution system. Goods yeah. will get distributed. It's just a question of how. So economics is about the production and distribution of goods and services in a scarce environment. And so how we distribute them. So on one end of the spectrum, we could have free market capitalism, which people usually call it. On the other end, we had socialism. And Christians don't want either end because on either end you develop monopolies or monopolies, as I say it in the class, because it means one. Hmm. And why do we not want that? Because we believe that people are fallen. See, it's at the fall where economics hmm. finds its birth. Interesting. Yeah. In creation, there was no scarcity. Right. After the fall, that's where economics starts because that's where things become scarce. And so that's two parts of the Christian worldview, creation, fall, redemption. But going back to the biblical aspect, I would say, why do Christians want to be free market capitalists instead of socialist? Uh, The Good Samaritan is a good story. And so I'll jump to the middle because I think your viewers can join us in the middle of the Samaritan story. Finding the man injured on the road, he got out his own oil, his own wine, his own bandages, put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn and paid with his own denarii. And said, if you need more, I'll pay you on my return trip. If you count the denarii twice, that's six resources that the man used to help the person who's hurt. That's why I call it the capitalist good Samaritan. Hmm. Socialist reads it as follows. Finding the man harmed on the road, he went into town, roused some soldiers, and enacted a tax. They went door to door and forcibly took money from people to buy public oil, public wine, public bandages, public donkeys, a public inn, and public denarii. That's not how Jesus right. told the story. Yeah. There are so many assumptions in the Good Samaritan that are free market capitalists that we have to believe that Jesus wanted us to be free market capitalists. Yeah, man, that's great. I, uh, I've i heard that story used the other way, but uh, you're right. That's not the story when you really consider what was happening there, someone using their own resources to help a neighbor in need, really. And yep. Jesus talked about that often as well. Yep. Um, from a policy perspective right now, looking at the economy as it is, uh, I heard this morning that uh, OPEC is even talking about limiting um, access to crude, 
which is crazy right now. So that's going to impact our economy. Living here in California, uh, we're dealing with gas prices that are astronomical. But everything is expensive. Food is expensive. Um, housing is expensive right now. Everything across the country is expensive. What are some of the policy decisions that are driving that? I know a lot of this is getting thrown, again, to Russia. It's all Russia's fault. Everything's Russia's fault. What are the actual policy decisions right now in our country that are driving what we're living through and potentially what's going to get worse as we continue down this road? Yeah, in macroeconomics, which I teach, there's two entities who can work on the economy, the government with fiscal policy and the Central Reserve, Central Reserve Bank with monetary policy, the mm -hmm. Fed. That's why I hesitated over the term because I usually just say the Fed. Yeah, right. right. So fiscal policy has gotten us in trouble by increasing debt. When my 20-year-old sophomores at Dallas Baptist University were born, our debt-to-GDP ratio was 57%. It's now 124. Yeah. In their lifetimes, it has doubled. Think about doubling the debt in your home, in your city, in your industry, in your company. You can't just double the debt and walk away. Yeah. Something bad is going to happen. That's yeah. fiscal policy. So in fiscal policy, decisions have been to spend too much money and increase the debt. Monetary policy, the problem has been they left the interest rate too low, too long. And talking about an economic law, so mm -hmm. many of us, you don't have to be a brilliant economist to know that 8, 12, 15 months ago, they should have been raising the interest rate. They didn't want to do it. And that was a mistake. It was, clearly was a mistake that they were breaking an economic law. This caused inflation. Inflation is really a, difficult for the poor, who we Christians care about, because the rich can delay purchases. You know, if you're buying a big car, a yacht, yeah. a vacation, you can delay them. Yeah. Poor people cannot delay buying milk and diapers, which they have to buy on the weekly market. And so inflation hurts the poor much more than the rich. And it also puts the stimulus in the wrong place or the, uh, um, the, the incentive in the wrong place. So economics is about incentives. First book, one of the early books was called Human Action by a guy named von Mises human action. So how do we behave? So the Bible says we should save and not spend. During inflationary periods, you don't save, you spend. You do the exact opposite. I mean, Brazil went through this 15 years ago, yeah. and it was astounding how that's affected their culture. They don't save because money loses value the longer you hold it. Right. And so inflation right. harms the poor and it puts the incentives in the wrong place. It incentivizes spending, not saving. Charles Wesley said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. He didn't say spend all you can. Right. What could, we're coming into midterms. Uh, I mean, elections have consequences, certainly. I don't know what can be done. But if you were making the decisions right now for the American economy, what are some policies you would turn around or put in place yeah. um, right now that would get us back on track? Reduce spending. It's the government, not the government. I think I wrote that, Jeremy. <laughs> it's the government, not the government. Yeah. Uh, the government is not supposed to do this many things. Yeah. Uh, Abraham Kuyper is just an amazing guy. You might do a segment on him sometime. Hmm. He had this idea of sphere sovereignty. Now, it's a big term, but what it means is who should do what. That's and the government cool. is doing so much of what the church should be doing. Right, right. You right. can't find Social Security in the Bible. You can't find unemployment benefits in the Bible. You can't find nationalized health care. As a matter of fact, health care, we just talked about the Good Samaritan, didn't we? Yeah. Wasn't that health care? And so the government is doing so many things that the church is supposed to do. 
I'm not ready to say today, Jeremy, who's at fault. Did we not do our job as a church? I was going to ask you that question because that's always an interesting dilemma for me. I don't have that answer. You can ask somebody else for that answer. I am clear that we're at the wrong place. <laughs> we're at the wrong place. Yeah. One of my fellow Christian economists named Art Lindsay says, the government should punish evil but not do good. The church should do good mm. but not punish evil. This falls into Kuiper's sphere of sovereignty. Spheres, meaning the family is supposed to do something, the church is supposed to do something, yep. the government's supposed to do yep. something. The government has taken over so many of these roles that the church was supposed to do, and the church would be much better at them. You've heard and seen the raw, uncut truth about the brave men and women, patriots that were wrongfully arrested on January 6th by the tyrannical Biden regime and corrupt DOJ. But with your support, Jake Lang and all the January 6ers can find justice. Here is his message. Hello, my name is Jake Lang. I'm a January 6th political prisoner who has been held in solitary confinement for over 21 months by the Biden tyrannical regime. I'm not going to lie to you. The need is great. The corrupt DOJ and wicked FBI have doubled down on hundreds of innocent J6 patriots and pushed for harsh prison sentences of up to 10 years. We are putting together a legal fund that can help out the January 6ers, and we need your support. Please go to j6legal.org right now and give from your heart whatever God tells you to. We need your support. The need is great. The time to donate is now. Thank you, and God bless you. Yeah, and when you look at the institutions given by God, you have the home, the church, and government, society, uh, the oversight of society. I mean, it's, it, it was set that way by God, and yet when we begin to abdicate our responsibilities— um, you, you won't answer the question. I think the church has given up much of their responsibility to the government. I think now the family is doing that, and the government continues to seize more and more control and more power, and that puts us in a bad place. Um, that spheres of influence makes so much sense. How do we get back to the church doing what it's supposed to, or are we too gone, too far gone financially and in terms of programs and, and these now institutions, particularly in poor communities? How do we get back to the church doing what the church should be doing? Yeah, I think that's a difficult question. How do we? And the question is, how do we be in the world but not of the world? Right. Uh, I think there's two answers. I've covered this in one of my podcasts called um, Two Worlds. Uh, one of them comes from a book by Rod Dreher called The Benedictine Principle. So mm. St. Benedict went to Rome and found that it was corrupt. He went and lived in a cave and formed his own society, so to speak, so that then they could go back to Rome and influence it. Uh, Eric Metaxas wrote a book, great book called Amazing Grace about William yeah. Wilberforce. Yeah. He did the same thing. The Clapham sect was owned by a guy who had some money. He bought these homes. And so William Wilberforce every night would return from Parliament to his community at the Clapham sect to gain his energy. Mm. I think that's one answer. So one answer is doing what you and I do and what I'm going to do tonight. I, I happen to be leading our home group tonight for my church yeah. because yep. our leaders... Uh, has a sick family member, and I imagine you do the same. I do. That is the general answer. Specifically, it is going to be very difficult to unwrap these things like Social Security, uh, like the loan forgiveness that just happened. I fully, I don't expect anyone to reject student loan forgiveness. But the problem is it's very corrosive to society. Yeah. Because what it means now is well-meaning people signed a piece of paper saying they were going to pay this back, and now they're not going to. 
And I don't expect them to. I did a, pro- a podcast on this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I don't expect them to, but what does that do to your character? That means now papers that you sign mean nothing. That, right. That's really not good for our society. How, how do you how do you deconstruct that? I, I So my daughter is um, a senior at a, a pretty expensive school here in California. She's done an incredible job, worked her way through, and yeah. she took out a very small loan. Um, kind of a long story, but it fell within this loan forgiveness thing. And it was a couple thousand dollars she would save on it. It wasn't much, but she came to me and she said, dad, what do I do? Do I just like out of principle, just say no, or do I accept it? How do I deal with that? And my answer was, I don't think you would ask for it. I don't think you go after it. These are things that you have agreed to do, but if the government is going to forgive it, I don't think you fight it either. I think you, you move on and accept that. Uh, how do you unpack that? Because that's a small example, very relatively insignificant. But when you look at things like um, welfare and you know so many other programs that the government provides that Christians probably should not participate in, but many have to participate in it because they're in a system where that's how they survive. How, how do you how do you navigate that with people? Yeah, and I was pretty surprised at my home group last week. I mentioned that. People were going to have to, to, people would accept the loan forgiveness, even good Christian people. And a couple in my group said, no, our son's not going to. Yeah. He's going to pay it off. I said, well, good for you. Right, right. I don't think I would, but good for you. Right. (laughs) And a second, more specific answer for you, daughter. And this is just a suggestion. I'm I'm not King David here. My name is David, but I'm not King David. (laughs) Just a suggestion. Maybe she would take that 2000 and do something else with it. Right. Maybe she would give it to the church or some foundation or do something to build the church, because I believe that that's where so many activities are supposed to take place these Mm -hmm. days. And they do not because the government's taken it over. Yeah. What do you do with people who are, you know, more significantly impacted by social programs and government programs and things that the government probably should not be involved in? How do you help them navigate that? Even in my world, in, in the veteran community, um, there are so many incentives for veterans, those who have served in the military, to stay broken <laughs> and to mm. stay, um, you know, subject to resources provided by the government. In fact, in many cases, if you get well, if you start to do better, if you mm. improve, then you lose your livelihood. How do you walk through that with someone? The incentives are in the wrong place. So what do we do as an individual? Um, I would say that we make these decisions, right? And we have them to make, and we are free to make them. We should seek biblical concepts when we do so. Yeah. And that's why Sergey and I wrote yeah. Biblical Economic yeah, Policy, right. trying to understand that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I, I, a lot of times my advice to people is, you know, you're in this system, this is just where you are, but you need to begin to work your way out. And I think God blesses mm-hmm. that too. And you know, it's not jump out and now you're living on the street or whatever the case. It's begin to put in place sound biblical principles that will help you move from where you are to, you know, I think where you should be and, and to a place that would please God. And try to try to help others. Uh, I listened to your podcast on church hurt. Mm. Okay. The two words used most common, most often by economists are supply and demand. Yeah. Most people who leave church, I know there are severe instances, but mostly you talked about people who had their feelings hurt. Sure. Right? Right. That's because they were there demanding a service. Yeah. Yep. If they'd been there supplying a service, they would have been much happier. That's right. Look, I, 
as you mentioned, I've written a few books. I don't know how many books I've read. I'm an academic. It's what I do for a living, right? <laughs> I often tell my students, I read the book for you. Here's the summary. Right, it's what I do right. for a living. That's good. And I'm telling you, on this question, maybe a five-minute podcast by Dennis Prager mm. is the best advice. I was on his fireside chat last May and just had a great time. Two old great. guys in Southern California <laughs> talking, Dave Arnott and Dennis Prager. Had a great time. I've directed people to this a lot, and it's not that academic, but it is really powerful in what you're talking about. It's called The Key to Unhappiness, kind of a strange title. Mm -hmm. But Dennis Prager makes the point that there's two people in the world, two kinds of people. People who feel entitled will always be unhappy. People who feel grateful will always be happy. That's good. So are you expecting more or do you want to give more? Right? I, one of the key phrases I use, uh, scriptures I use in my teaching, uh, is called The Two Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And now here's the economic part. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Yep. If you love your neighbor, you will provide products and services she demands. If you love yourself, you make a profit while doing so. See, economics really does serve in a free market economy because you have to serve the demander before the supplier gets paid. Yeah, that's good. In socialism, it's the opposite. But socialism is so anti-Christian, I'm not even sure it's worth our discussion. But it is so clear that we should be closer to the free market capitalist end of that spectrum I gave you earlier. We shouldn't be on perfectly either end. In That's socialism, people, so uh, here's, here's the phrase of socialism, the mantra, from each according to his ability, right. to each according to his need. need. Okay, Jeremy, if you're only given what you need, how do you give? Mm. There's nothing left. You yep. have nothing. Uh, Ann Bradley, one of my fellow Christian economists, called it. There's no leftovers. Hmm. In socialism, how could you give? You can't. It's impossible. So God wants us to be closer to the free market capitalist end, but not all the way. Like we were during the robber barons of 100 sure. years ago, sure. they monopolized industries. And antitrust came about. Why do we even have antitrust yeah. laws? Because of the Christian worldview, we believe people are fallen. And if we give them a monopoly, they'll take advantage. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, you said so many good things there. I, I wrote a, a book on leadership a number of years ago, and uh, I settled on a definition that, that works for me to communicate leadership, that leadership is taking people from where they are to where they need to be. So leadership, okay. it's taking people from where they are, wherever that is, to where they need to be. And in order to do that, you have to utilize your resources, abilities, talents, and opportunities to help them go from where they are right now to where they really need to be. And that's helped me in so many ways. But, but in an economic sense, that's exactly what you're talking about. It's taking the resources that God has given to you and stewarding over those in a way to be beneficial to others. When I talk about leadership, I mentioned that as you are serving others, it's amazing how you personally benefit as well. In fact, as you serve others, moving them from where they are to where they need to be, um, even in a business sense, they're going to do better, which means your overall mission will be accomplished in an even better way. So it's not a one or the other type of situation. And uh, viewing this that way is, man, that's so helpful. That's so helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because in a free market economy, we have to serve. Right. And as Christians, we are called to serve. In socialism, you don't serve. Right. It is group force, which group force, which determines who gets what's good and goods and services. And God would never have intended that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, man. 
so much good there. I, I could ask you several more questions on that, but I won't. Uh, how can we as individual Christians um, be better, get better, improve <laughs> in our own financial lives? And this is kind of the fundamental question. Um, how can I, leading my family, talking to my small group, um, how can we as Christians do better? Yeah, serve each other and understand that free market economies are where we serve each other. Think of it. In socialism, you wouldn't have any leftovers to mm. help people with. You wouldn't have anything to give. So serve others. Those who serve are happier than those who don't right. serve. Right. right. Back to Prager's idea of entitlement or, or gratitude. And so if we have a gratitude about a gracious feeling about life, gratitude will be gracious. How about that? <laughs> we'll be gracious to others and our lives will be so much better. So often we look at the macro, and I'm sorry, that is what I teach, macroeconomics. Yeah. Yeah. So there's two levels of economics. Macroeconomics is at the national level. Microeconomics is at the firm level. I teach macro. My friend Sergey teaches micro. And so you're asking me a good macro question, but I'm giving you more of a micro answer, which means in your community, in your church, in your family, you can deny these national uh, movements. And you can act more biblically where you have the freedom to inside your home, inside your church. You have a great, great deal of freedom there. Right. We don't think we do. And we spend too much time looking at the national level. Yeah, that's great. Um, Dr. Arnott, where can people learn more about you? have a great website, a lot of good resources there. Where can people find that and follow you, get your books, and uh, just uh, stay up with what you're into? Oh, it's nice of you to ask. Uh, it's the Christian Economist, and it's easy to find because there aren't many of us. <laughs> the Christian Economist, if you just search for that, you'll probably find me. I mean, the name is Dave Arnott. Uh, the book is Biblical Economic Policy. I do a podcast every week, pretty much like you do, Jeremy. And they're on YouTube if you just look for the Christian Economist. Um, the one I'm writing right now for this week has is going to be titled something like The Economics of Anxiety. Oh, great. Because people are upset, and you can guess which scripture that's going to be yep. come from. Be anxious about nothing, probably. Uh, but also, my podcasts all end with this little phrase, uh, fear God, tell the truth, earn a profit. And the point is, if we fear God, in the Old Testament, it didn't really mean fear the way we think of it today. Right. Right. It meant revere mm. God. If we fear God, we'll fear nothing else. That's good. And so thank you for asking for, uh, that's where the resources are. That's Dave Arnott, YouTube, Christian Economist, you'll find it. That's wonderful. And I teach at Dallas Baptist University. You can look me up there. Uh, Dr. Arnott, a, a lot of other things we could talk about, I'm sure. Hopefully we'll have an opportunity to do that. But uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing it. God bless. Really a pleasure to be with you, Jeremy. Yes, sir. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. 
grateful for that perspective and uh, already looking forward to having Dr. Arnott back on. Um, you have conversations with folks and as they answer questions, like five more questions come to mind <laughs> because of uh, just the clarity they bring on these issues. And he is one of those folks. Very glad to have him on. Uh, please follow him. Go to our, his website. Listen to his podcast. Find his books there. Uh, you'll be happy that you did. If you are not yet subscribed to the podcast, that is the number one thing you can do to support us here. Subscribe. You're listening from somewhere. Go ahead and subscribe. That would be fantastic. As you do that, as our audience grows, we're able to produce more content. And uh, we love to do that for you. Please subscribe and then share this out with other folks in your life that would benefit. Take some time. Go to YouTube. Find our channel there, The Situation Report. You can subscribe, hit that notification bell, and when you do, you will have access to the archive of incredible guests and topics that are found there. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Look forward to talking to you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.